hot on the heels of M21 is Jumpstart, a set that not only brings a slew of new cards into the game, but also a whole new way to play. Leaning into the spirit of innovation, we also find a plethora of new spins and fresh takes on many a magic trope, some of which are very special indeed. Welcome to Magic the Flavoring, the Magic the Gathering podcast. We talk about everything magic, flavor, design, and lore. I'm your host, Andy Mann. Hello, this is Nathan Cancel. And we are going to be talking about Jumpstart today, the product that we will probably never get our hands on, unfortunately. Because <laughs> um, obviously due to all the grubbiness with COVID-19 and just people not being in game shops and and print runs being disrupted. It's just, it's all got a little bit to shit for this plucky little product, but uh, we know the cards. We've got the card lists out, so we can talk about that. And uh, yes, I mean, it's looking pretty sweet, right? As like a set. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, it looks really cool. Like at first, I was like, uh, when it first released, I was like, okay, so it's just going to be like a, a glorified, like, um, like Pack Wars kind of thing. Um, but yeah, they've got some real spice. They've um, really expanded on some things that I didn't think they were going to. Some tribes, some mechanics have been given some extra boost. Um, it is a massive shame that these might not be in great circulation because some of these cards are like the first of their kind to do a thing. Um, and they, they like fan favorite things. Mm. Um, and especially like when it comes to, say, like the lands. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, that—that's the thing, isn't it? Like, they might just decide to do another print run of it. And I mean, I never quite know the the print runs of things. They will, sometimes I'll think something's an unlimited print run, and then I find out it's only got a short space of time. Or sometimes they get pushed back and really raw. So hopefully, yeah, they'll they'll kind of flip it all around. And before we dive too much into things, I want to give you a little update on the uh, ice cream van. <laughs> great good chapter two <laughs> <laughs> uh, only because when i said last week people out there tell me about your ice cream van situations tell me what, what's going on so i don't look like a dickhead i actually did get people telling me about what time their ice cream vans come around and around the world as well so i've had oh, quite amazing. a few american yeah i've had quite a few american listeners uh uh contact us on social and I mean, there's no consensus. This is the infuriating thing. I'm right to be angry, but then I do also have other people going, oh, no, that's normal. So I've had people tell me that residential areas or in parks, I mean, it seems to be in America that they mostly hang around parks. I say hang around, making it sound nefarious. Not all <laughs> ice cream vans are nefarious. Well, I just um, say not all of them. I ho- hopefully none of them are. I mean, there's there's always rotten apples in every industry, Nathan. I'm not going to get too deep into it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. um, but yeah, like, so some people have said, like, yeah, eight o'clock in the evening is bonkers. Who's buying ice creams? And then other people will go, no, that's normal. Shut the fuck up, you whingy little bastard. So, you know, okay. I've had both ends of the scale. Um, So there's no satisfactory closing to this. There's no vindication. It's just... Yeah, exactly. You're allowed to be angry if you find it perturbing. The fact you have two different ones is the is the funny thing, I think. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah like competing businesses. Yeah, um, I do know what you I, mean. I'm a little bit I'm a little bit of a grumpus when it comes to annoying noises anyway. Like I'm the kind of person that when a car drives by my flat, I'm looking out the window going, Who's got a muffler on their car? What kind of dickhead drives a car like that? Um You're such yeah, an no, old I man. Know. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. So there we go. I apologize to anyone that likes eating their ice creams late in the evening, but also at the same time you are fucking mental. Um and that's it. That's all I wanted to Good. say. Good. So <laughs> So uh jumpstart, getting back to it. Mm. Um, something I noticed about Jumpstart is that it's one of the first times that I have seen Wizards kind of base a product off of 
another game so clearly. So there's two other products out there, two other card games that could be compared to Jumpstart in terms of their format. One of them is Keyforge, which is another re, uh, Richard Garfield game, right? Mm. Yeah, um, I think, where I think you LSV plays a bit of it, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the whole design of that is that you just open a deck out of a pack, and it's mm. a pre-made thing, and you just go. So it's very similar to, to Jumpstart. And then there's another game called Smash Up, which Celerian Community College, the YouTube channel, recently did a gameplay video of that as well, a how-to. Um, and that is a very similar thing, where you take two decks of two different tribes in this game, you smush them together, and you just go. But it's all like a pre-packaged, pre-boxed thing. So the, with Jumpstart, if you don't know what Jumpstart is, a little kind of rundown on it is, is that you get a booster box, like you would any other set, um, and each booster pack has a predetermined deck list in it. Um, and there are several different tribes across uh, magic or flavors that they've kind of built in so you have like goblin packs and unicorn packs and flyers packs and a mill theme pack and all this kind of thing mm. on and on and on um and you take these booster packs you rip them open and you put two booster packs together to create a deck and there are lands included already and the idea is is that you know wacky combinations can happen and synergies can happen which you wouldn't have thought of before yeah. um each of these boosters has an outer foil like a regular booster pack but then they also have an inner foil which tells you what is going to be your booster pack, right? Mm. So you could just do it completely blind. You could rip off both of them without knowing what's going on, or you can take the outer foil off, see what all the tribes are, and then try things out. Um, And then another thing to note is is that some of the tribes have multiple deck lists, and some of them only have one. Mm. So it kind of increases the variance. So the goblins, for example, have four separate deck lists, and some of them are considered rarer than others because they've got rarer cards. Uh, And then something like unicorns, for example, I believe only has one because there's only so many unicorns unicorns in Magic. And you can only really reprint so many into this set or print new ones without it just becoming... Like yeah, the whole thing. they could have done like an equestrian one where they mix, but they obviously they've done everything monocolored, so I don't think it would have yeah. worked because you could have done like an equestrian pack, which would have had a mix of unicorns and different horses and things like that. But yeah, I mean, realistically, there is there are only so many horny horny horses out there, unfortunately. Horny horses, exactly. This is, and this, uh, this does yeah, remind me a little bit of um, Unsanctions because um, they obviously did yeah. that last year where they had um, five thirty card preconstructed decks again, monocolored, designed to just but break them open and bust them against each other. So they obviously had a little bit of preamble. Obviously the unsanctioned was with silver border cards. Um, but it's a kind of similar thing of where they had some reprints um, with new borders and a new, um, not new artwork, but at least like, a, you know, the new, the new framework. And then obviously having some new cards in there as well, like um, uh, the Clamilton guy. So I, it, I guess they did have a bit of preamble and unsanctioned kind of flew under the radar. So I'm kind of, so I think this obviously feels a bit more um, uh, thought through and obviously a little bit more, um, deep it's got more depth to it there's a lot there's a lot going on it feels a little bit more like because it's just classic magic right but it's yeah. just the format in which you play it and it's very yeah. similar other magic products that kind of play out a little bit similar to this are things like battle bond and conspiracy mm. where they take like a draft format or a limited format and kind of shake up how it's played to make it its own thing and mm. um, we are going to talk about a little bit about gameplay today because there is like in the past we've said about things like battle bond like the flavor is actually in playing Mm, and drafting in a certain way and there is a certain like feel that you get from doing that like i know you and i absolutely love battle bond mm. um we've never really done conspiracy before but i know fans of God, conspiracy, I'd really, really want to do like, conspiracy three yeah that'd be great yeah like conspiracy players really love conspiracy like you hear for example josh and jimmy from the command zone mm. they're not talking about uh commander they're talking about conspiracy almost like specifically as a, as its own kind of format mm. um so like we'll talk about that a little bit later but before that we we're, we're kind of burned out 
out on doing full set reviews. This isn't a full set <laughs> review. Yeah, like I think everyone everywhere is so burnt out. Not only the audiences, but like the content producers. Like everyone that I've seen that do them are like, right, so we're back for our fourth week of reviews. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so many cards to, uh, to be inundated with. So yeah, we're not going to go into it like super crazy depth. Because... No, and we, we, we had a bit of a grump last week as well. At least I had a bit of a grump last week about certain flavor things in m21 alongside some of the brilliant things in m21 i don't want people to get the wrong idea i do like that corset i think it's one of the best corsets we've ever had mm. it's just some of the lows were pretty low so we're not going to do any of that this week because i don't have the energy and you don't have the energy so we're just going to do favorites yeah. favorite legendaries favorite flavor cards we're all things highs. We like all highs today because life's too short and I've got other things I need to do today. So <laughs> let's just jump into it. Um, so le- legendaries. There are, there are new legendaries for this set, mm. which is brilliant. Like, And they're really cool. And they're yeah. really flavorful as well. Yeah, they're all they're all very weird. None of them are like generic, cool, like normal people, like things. They're all something interesting. Which is really yeah, cool. they're all slightly subversive, right? And there's been yeah. a bit of support been given to... Because obviously the whole thing about this is about themes and tribes and magic. This is what the packs are based off of. So some of them are classic, like we mentioned goblins. But there are a few that give support to tribes and magic which haven't really had a lot of support before. So one of them, we've got a Minotaur legendary, for example, who supports Minotaurs in a way that hasn't been happened before. And not only is this a support in maybe like a tribal deck in say something like Limited or Constructed, if... I mean, Minotaur Tribal ever makes its way into modern, I doubt it. But also things like Commander, like, you can't get around it. These products are also good for Commander as well. So mm. if you're building, like, Minotaur Tribal, the f- the only other option you really had was uh, Neheb, the the glorified? The first one, the Rakdos one. Neheb the, the, wor- non- the Worthy. The Worthy, thank you, the yeah, non-zombie yeah. one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, or Mogus, God of Slaughter. But now yeah. you have this Sirloin one, which is pretty cool. Um, he's not actually on our list of favorite com- legendaries, but there's like that. That's oh, he is now. He, I put him at the bottom. Oh, oh, there we, oh, there we go. Sethron. Sorry, yeah. yes, Sethron, Herloon yeah. General. So we'll, um, you'll talk about him in just a minute. Mm. Um, but first, let's, let's just run down the list. So I've got the first half, and you've got the second half of the mm. favorites. So my first favorite is Kells. Fight Fixer, which is in the Minions themed deck, and Kells Fight Fixer is a two uh, black black for a legendary creature, Azra Warlock. So an Azra, which is a race that we've only seen in the context of Battle Bond, and there were a, there were a couple in Modern Horizons as well, uh, which we had an Azra Ninja. I think, mm-hmm. in, in uh, Modern Horizons, but mostly we've seen them on Battle Bond. Um, and it's got Menace. Whenever you sacrifice a creature, you may pay Hybrid Demir if you do draw a card, and then you can pay one generic and sacrifice a creature to have Kells Fight Fixer gain indestructible until end of turn. It's a 4-3. So this is... Not only is this a fight commander in Demir colours, this is also like an Aristocrats commander in Demir colours as well, which mm-hmm. is super interesting. Like... And also, it's the first blue Azra that we've had. So the the card is black, so you could play it in limited, just mono black. But it does have blue in its uh, color identity for something like Commander. And up until now, we've only seen Azra in black and red. In fact, with Kells, there are only eight Azra cards in yeah. Magic. Um, and the only other legendary was uh, Versus the Veiled, which was the partner Commander, who was in mono black. So... Yeah, like there's a lot going on. The art is by Magali Villeneuve as well, who's one of our favourites on the show. So it's very pretty, and, obviously. <laughs> oh yeah, very pretty. Like the and it, it kind of there's a lot about it which kind of expands on Azra lore because we don't really know much about them. So the Azra are um, purple skinned, almost like a cross between demons and humans. They're like right? tieflings got... if you've ever played if you know D and D. They're very much like the tieflings, but without tails. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. So we don't really know much about them, and I can I can imagine the reason that we don't know much about them is because they might take up the same space as demons and devils. Yeah, well, they run by bargaining. Like they like um, it says in um, that they like um, trades because they tend to flock towards like money and power that kind of thing, which obviously fits Kel's flavor amazingly. So obviously, yeah. being like um, Kylum's obviously all about. Um, it will be basically like a trade hub. I and mean, the thing is, we don't know much about Kylan whatsoever. So no. being able to, and they are um, to, uh, to, not domesticated to. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, what's the word? Where, where they're from? When someone's from somewhere? Indigenous. Indigenous. Thank you. Indigenous to yeah. Kylan. So we don't. We're not going to see them very much unless we do another battle bond. So, um, but yeah, like their, their lore is as you as you can see, very very narrow, and they do do fit that kind of like demony look. But I feel like we're now moving away from like demons that are they're either really animalistic whereas these are now the demons that are a bit more humanistic and you can converse with and talk to and have a bit more you know loquacious sure. so. yeah, yeah yeah i think i think i think there's definitely something to be um dug a little bit deeper into there and i kind of hope that because i mean we'll only ever go to kylam in the terms of our battle bond set but i kind of also hope we see azra on other planes as well mm. um i mean maybe they're a little bit like the core a little bit like the core or, the or something like that where yeah well they are just going to be on one plane yeah yeah, it which does, is a shame. Yeah, because I really like the look of this idea of where she can, like, she benefits off of things dying because she knows which way the odds are going to go, mm-hmm. and she'll throw any fighter down to save herself as well. Mm-hmm. You know, like um, with that, that that bit at the beginning of Daredevil where he's supposed to throw the fight and he obviously doesn't. Or, or, or you know, I, I like, <laughs> I like, you know, trying to find links wherever I can in some modern life. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, it's, it's it's really cool to have this aristocrats theme, and I think the main thing that people have been saying about her is that well, she's not as good as Corvold, and I think that's probably the best thing about. Her. Oh my god. <laughs> Do you know, I saw, I've seen that take a couple of times where it's exactly like, you're right, where people have gone, isn't this just a less good Corvold? And that idea in Commander, at least, of someone going, isn't it just a less good version of this card? Fuck off. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't know what that person's building that deck for. Like, mm-hmm. that actually, that does annoy me because, A, in terms of power, well, it's it's just different because it's not in Jund colours. So you have an access to blue, which Corvold doesn't have. So it's got on a completely different access. And B... That person might be building it because they really fucking love Azra's, or they mm-hmm. like deals, or whatever else. In which case, Corvold is not a good commander. So yeah, if yeah, if this, that's is a your theme, take... this is a theme deck. Whereas with Corvold, as much as you know he's a king that was cursed to be a dragon, there's not much flavor to unpack beyond eat, eat, yum, yum, yum. I'm like Prosh, you know. In terms of his playability, yeah, as yeah. to play him out, he's not the most flavorful card, which no. is a shame because, as you say, his story is actually pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, yeah you're with, right. With the other way around, we haven't got really much about this last, but I mean, we know that, that you can build a really cool thematic rogue kind of inspired deck, which I think is, you know, the whole point of, of these um, of these products is to highlight a certain theme. Um, and I think this duplicity aspect of Dimir that we, we get to see, I think a lot of people like it. I think Dimir is one of the more popular guilds in Ravnica. So yeah, it's nice to see it in another place. And also, yeah, it's just a random slice of an as like, you know, a bit of Azra is quite nice to see. Absolutely. Um, okay, moving on. Uh, my next pick for flavor is Inia's the Gale Force, which mm-hmm. is a three blue blue legendary creature, Jin. I love a Jin. Uh, flying, and then you can pay two generic and an Azores hybrid. Attacking creatures with flying get plus one plus one till end of turn. And then the second ability has whenever three or more creatures you control with flying attack, each player gains control of a non-land permanent of your choice, controlled by the player to their right. So there's oh, stuff yeah. going 
on. Um, I think to quote yeah. Jimmy, to quote Jimmy uh, Jimmy Wong, this might be the most interesting Azorius commander ever printed. Sure. So it's got. I mean, there's we've seen similar things to this on cards like Aminatu, the Fate Shifter Planeswalker, right? Where mm. you kind of you move permanents around in a certain direction. Yeah. But so you never normally do that with her. Like, you're, I mean, obviously you still have to jump through some loopholes for Ineas of Ineas as well. But like, realistically, you're probably not going to do her as an Aminatu player. How many times did you use her ultimate? Well, no, I didn't. I used to have an Aminati deck, and I don't think I used it a single time. Yeah, whereas this is a little bit more possible and a little bit yeah. more. I will say that it's not necessarily my reason for this being a uh, flavor pick isn't necessarily the kind of absurd uh, playability of this card because mm. I, I kind of think actually it's going to be a little bit mean when this kind of thing happens unless the attitude you have going into the game is that you're very open and you go I'm playing an Inez deck we're all going to be using each other's permanence. I'm not necessarily going to screw everyone over, but also I'm just going to do some hijinks, like as opposed to just keep going like, well, I'm Ooh. going to take all your yeah, good well, stuff. Yeah, as with and... all blue blue white cards, you don't have to be a dickhead about it. You can do it politically. You can do the whole like, oh, okay, what's the best thing for the table? Well, that's the person's in front. We'll make sure they don't have that thing anymore. This person's behind. Okay, we'll make sure they get something. You could be that kind of group huggy kind of player with it. Um, mm-hmm. But that, that tends to invoke as much anger um, as Stax does, weirdly enough. So um, yeah, I don't know. If you're going to try and sit somewhere between Azuria Stax and Azuria's group hug, you might get bitch slapped a lot. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, my the reason I picked this is my my flavor pick primarily is because I actually really like gin in Magic, the mm. kind of the the genie trope, right? They use the word gin because it's a bit more catchall. Um, and there have been a couple of legendary gins in the past, and they've always been quite interesting, especially with things like uh, their flavor. But there's also there's a card called um, which actually came in the Amanatu deck, a uh, gin of wishes, mm. which is where you had it was the three wish trope, so you could take a wish counter off of it and go and choose something up, which. I just I like the idea if 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 say um sphinxes are always considered to be kind of in their playstyle the way that sphinxes are usually designed in some kind of weird card draw thing like you have like Azor or you have a Sphinx of Thune as like a fact or fiction thing mm-hmm. or you've got Artemis you've also got Sphinx of the Chime yeah 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 <laughs> they're something all kind I was going to talk bit... about with almost but yeah, yeah 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 like they're all a little bit swervy right in what they do and I think mm. Jin are also quite good for filling that space but I kind of feel like Jin could almost not be like the tutoring version of of what those creatures do but i just i like the space that Jin occupy right mm. i like the fact that you can have these kind of really weird abilities i also like the fact that they're not printed to death like right, if you yeah. did if you did Jin tribal i think that'd be a bit of a mistake it's the same way that you keep saying this and now i want to make a gin and tonic deck well, where it's all <laughs> islands and gins and i'm like oh every time you say I mean, it that'd be like, good right uh, that, that would be good I but like, like sphinx, sphinxes are not as printed as many other creature types. Like some mm. sets have more than others, and yeah, okay, yeah, there are some common sphinxes. Well, we've even got a couple more in Jumpstart. Like they, I know yeah. that specifically of where they are kind of not inundating. The same with hydras. If they didn't have very many for a long time, and then suddenly, oh my god, how many hydras do we have? But I'm not sick of them because they yeah. keep doing kind of cool things. So yeah, but uh, yeah, I just. I just like it. It's the same thing. I mean, avatars is maybe a, a better um, sort of comparison to a gym. Like the, the creature type avatar mm. is usually something quite powerful. It's usually something quite beefy with like a very much near to I win effect, right? Mm. And I just kind of think gin, as you play them, you might only play one in a deck, especially if it's like a theme deck or a commander deck. But whenever you slap it down, you know things are about to get like a little bit bonkers on, on the table. And I think Inyaz is is another step towards having that. I wouldn't yeah. be upset, for example, if they said like every two or three sets, you knew there was going to be a gin on that plane. Mm-hmm. And it was going to be some bonkers thing like 
you know, everyone swaps their life totals or all creatures reverse their power toughness or something, you know, a bit weird. Um, yeah, they kind of fit in the yeah. same kind of like, they're like blue demons, aren't they? Of where you have this really powerful being kind of bound to you, but obviously they've got a capricious nature. Um, and I guess mm-hmm. what you, you want more, you know, Zah- and you want more of these Inyazes rather than the Zahids or the uh, Tempest Jins, where it's just like, oh, I'm yeah, gonna- Zahid's oh, yeah. Jin of the Lamp or whatever it was, was a little bit boring, which is why I cited Jin of Wishes as being yeah, a bit swir- more swervy. I mean, yeah. that's the two directions they could go, I guess. So, I mean, yeah, it's nice to see them do this side where it's them kind of messing with you monkey's paw kind of thing as you say mm. rather rather than just being hi i'm a flyer yeah exactly um yeah the artist for this is livia prima very cool artwork as well mm. um so you should check it out uh my next one down the list is muxus goblin grandy muxus my god so we we've got a lot of goblin legendaries right that's not breaking any kind of barriers mm. uh, that's not kind of being innovative um but it's just everything about this goblin is just so much fun and they've been having a lot of fun with goblins in this m21 jumpstart realm um so he's four red red for a goblin noble legendary creature four four uh when muxus goblin grandy enters the battlefield reveal the top six cards of your library put all goblin creature cards with converted mana cost five or less from among them onto the battlefield, and the rest to the bottom of your library in a random order. Whenever Muxus attacks, it gets plus one, plus one till end of turn for each other goblin you control. Wowzers. So he's a six drop. (laughs) So he's a six drop, which might not make him, like, the most efficient goblin commander for EDH, but he's definitely, I think he's definitely a sort of different He's he's a good alternative to yeah. Krenko. He's the Robert, closest right? I've come to being like, oh, is Krenko being toppled? Like, this is really close. The reason why this is close is because it automatically fills the board, you know, with stuff. And it's from mm. your card zone. And the card advantage aspect was always the biggest issue with Krenko. In Krenko, I can win games on turn three, turn four, you know, sometimes. And it's not, it's not hard to make 120 damage with goblins. But... Mm. Getting the difference between four and six mana in a deck that I already struggle with mana on, that's the issue. But if you do get to six mana, you're guaranteeing so much card advantage with this card. I think it is, um, you, you can also build it very obnoxiously. You can build combos with Goblin Recruiter um, and um, you can do nonsense with um, Skirt Prospector and Kiki Jiki and all that nonsense. So if anything, as much as this does look more expensive, it's probably the more combo oriented version of the deck than Krenko. So I guess it kind of depends on which direction you want to go on. Um, yeah, you can sure. also just play him fair. You can just play him fairly. But bloody hell, yeah. There aren't many, go- many goblins that are more than five mana as well, so that might as well just say all goblins. Um, yeah. For all intents and purposes. But I guess it was to stop him getting more versions of himself in... Oh, I guess you're not even playing this in standard. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why I didn't just say all goblins, but... But well, I don't know. But I think it's it's definitely cool, and the flavor for this guy is is really special. So I mean, most goblins have pretty cool flavor, but this one is primo. So I've got his little lore slide up now. And it says, uh, all goblins, no Muxus, the most incredible and influential goblin of them all. What most goblins don't know is that Muxus is actually a set of quintuplets. Each day they roll a die to see who will wear the crown and ride the litter and who will carry it. On a six, they take a day off. <laughs> so is... it's not it's not one character. Oh, it's amazing. quintuplets. And you can see in the artwork, yeah. it's one of these quintuplets on top of their chair yeah, being carried by the rest of them. It's just the most goblin thing I think I've ever heard. Yeah. And, and the goblet and the roll of the dice as well aspect kind of that's very goblin-y as well. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah really good. Because I think Goblin Game is a roll of roll of die of six one, isn't it? Uh no, no. Well What's Goblin Game Goblin Game is where you have to hide objects okay, or you the, pick another number. one. There's one where you roll a, a one to six and it has a random effect. One of them's destroy all lands. One of them's everyone wheels. One of them's. Oh, I, I don't know. Yeah, I can't remember. I can't remember. It's a really cool, weird one, though. Um, I think it's yeah, I can't, Goblin 
wheel, wheel of wheel, wheel of goblin or something. I don't know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> wheel that goblin. Yeah, I don't um, know, whatever. <laughs> cool. I mean, those are, those are my three, but I know you've put four down, and a couple of them were ones that I was going to do as well if I had more slots. So uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I think we're on the same wavelength with a few of these. Again, yeah. guys, we're not talking about all of them. Sorry. If can someone if someone doesn't hear their favorite legendary be read out, we're sorry. We just don't agree. Uh, but, like, <laughs> but no, they're all pretty good, right? But we've only got like. Yeah. There's only so many hours I'm really in there. Skip through a couple anyway, because the thing that I wanted to talk about was more the idea that they're um, this highlighting of themes and giving certain um, playstyles um, a much better general or much better commander than we've seen before. Um, mm-hmm. Bruvac, the grand, the grand, the grandiloquent. Sorry, grandiloquent. Yes, grandiloquent um, is the mill one. So basically, any time that you would mill a card, um, you mill two cards instead. This works for X effects as well. So if they would mill X cards, it would be twice X. Um, it also works for things like mill half your library. It would mill your entire library um he's an advisor so this is basically hand-picked deliberately selected bottom um, from t- from bottom to top built for pati- uh, pers- persistent petitioners but i like the fact that we have got a dedicated mill commander um beyond yeah. that the what i want to point out is if you look in the image of him look at look at look in his uh, look in his picture as much as he's got like you know spyglass and you're expecting that that scroll to have like loads of writing on it the font on those runes is about 36 so that massive <laughs> scroll is actually probably only got about six words on it. I'm sorry, I, I throw, I throw, I, mean, I throw poo at the artistic direction of that one. Well, do, you, do you think maybe it was just readability for us as the viewer of that picture to I look? Think, oh, there's writing on that scroll. I think we noticed there's writing on it. He's probably not staring at something that's blank. <laughs> favorite text is called Bruvac. It's um and another thing. Yeah, so this is idea that he just keeps yeah. going. I was saying using words like grandiloquent, which sound made up but aren't, is fantastic. This is one of the reasons why I have such a um, a, a vast vernacular is because I've been looking at magic flavor texts and magic names for years and uh, magic is one of the best sources for crazy words that you didn't know were words um, so yeah grandiloquent is actually a word um, and it's about the uh, verbosity of your language obviously um, anyway, <laughs> um, so in the same kind of theme of like giving um, uh, tribes and themes commanders that we haven't seen before um, Zerzoth the Chaos Rider is the devil tribal um, it's a devil tribal um, or, sorry de- a devil legendary um, which allows him to be like you know the first uh, so head in the same way with unicorns because there's a unicorn a commander as well that we're not going to talk about um, there might be limited options for you but now there is an option for you to play um, saying hmm. that he is maybe one of the more interesting mono red commanders we've seen in a while um, two and a red for a two three legendary creature devil whenever an opponent draws their first card each turn if it's not their turn you create a 1-1 one, one red devil creature token with when this creature dies, deals one damage to any target. When one, nice. or, when one or more devils you control attack one or more players, you and those players each draw a card, then discard a card at random. Now there's a lot to unpack here from this little devil. Um, he reminds mm. me a lot of Simproda. Simproda, a nice card that allows you at the top beginning of your turn to reveal the top cards and your opponent can um, take damage or have you keep it. This Punisher effect kind of thing. This is another Punisher effect. This is this is a guy who's just going to do you do you in any way. This I love this idea of where you can play wheel effects, um, get loads of devils on your turn, attack into them, make them dis- draw and discard their cards. I mean, I play a lot of um, like card, uh, decks like Nakusa and stuff like that. Like, I like people drawing and discarding cards quite a lot. So the fact you can do a discard um, strategy for it, a ping strategy for it, it gives you tokens um, to, to, to sacrifice for effects as well. Like This is amazing diversity for a card that when you hear Devil Tribal, you just think, well, Devil's going to get plus two, plus zero and have haste or something like that. Yeah. No, no, not even slightly. Yeah, it does have the Devil word on there, but if anything, it's self-sufficient as well. It does provide its own value, so it doesn't even require you to have a board or something. Like This is the kind of clever direction I think they should go with tribes of where they go take a, tr- a tribe that's not very loved and give it something really interesting to do 
Um, but this is what I mean, devils, a lot of devils do this pingy thing anyway. That's kind of what they're good at, right? So it's leaning into its own thing. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, and it's quite bit they does it in a way that isn't just, you know, making it so whenever like a, a devil you control dies or something. It's, it's not th- it's not expand it's not deepening the, the the abilities it already has it's kind of expanding the way that you can use them which i think is a more yeah. thing to do with tribes um, he looks pretty rad as well like the artwork pretty good hellboy hellboy altars all, all, all day this is it's a fantastic looking card um yeah the but, artist is uh dimitri burmack for yeah. Uh, as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's had a few. Um, he's had a few really cool cards. I do like Dimitri. Um, the next one I'm also talk about quickly. We did talk about uh, for a second with Sethron, uh, Hurling General again, um, a Minotaur general that's uh, or a Minotaur legend that's doing something to help the tribe um, to help the tribe rather than you know boosting its power and toughness or whatever like um, uh, Naheb does. Um, he is a four four for three red red um, legendary creature human uh, Minotaur warrior, not human. Um, when Sethron Hurling General or another non-token Minotaur enters the battlefield under your control, create a two three red Minotaur creature token, and then for two and a Rakdos hybrid um, Minotaurs you control get plus one plus zero and gain menace and haste until end of turn. So the opposite of the devil thing of where it is just basically giving you buffs, but it's also self sufficient in making more dudes for you. Plus the interesting thing about this is it really harkens back to the original. Um, uh, minotaur of her of the hurling minotaur and also it's pale so this isn't one of the minotaurs from theoros this is a minotaur from dominaria um, and we're seeing but obviously kind of it's nice to see them go with a minotaur not from theoros um considering we've been there for a little bit and the only minotaurs we've really seen for a while have been the typical normal therosian minotaurs it's quite nice to see sure uh her uh Sirloon. I keep, I keep messing Sethron up his name. Sethron, yeah, Sethron. <laughs> um, he's also, yeah, as you say, not only is he, he's got a, a pale fur coat, but he's also on like a snowy mountain side, which we haven't really seen any snowy areas of mm. uh, Theros. And I don't think we ever will, really. Um, we do see uh, something of the Therosian Minotaurs in the lands. We'll talk about the lands in a couple yeah, of minutes. Absolutely. Um, but their their themed land is of Scophos, the labyrinth of Scophos, mm. which is the Minotaur holdout on Theros. So they are paying homage to Minotaurs across the world. They're giving right? love to a tribe again. Like there's a guy on um on Reddit um who's called the Minotaur guy, and every set he does a Minotaur review, and obviously he had a field day this set because he's basically they've just made his life basically. Um, the only other one I really want to talk about um is Tiny Bones. Tiny Bones. Um, yeah, might be the outlier is one of the boogeymen of the um of the set in terms of like um competitive um, play and, and how it feels to play against because he's basically discard dot deck. Um, so he's a one and a black uh, for a one two legendary creature skeleton rogue, um, cutest little motherfucker in all the world. Um, mm-hmm. Artist Unmomento is uh, Jason Rainville. He's done a few art- artworks. Yeah, uh, he's got some really good work uh, coming out at the moment. Um, he is the cutest little guy. It looks like, like it's basically it's like a Nightmare Before Christmas. That kind of sweetness. Um, it's like if Jack oh, is Jack Skeleton as a kid. Anyway, I'm going to get too kawaii about this. Um, at the beginning of each end step, if an opponent discarded a card this turn, you draw a card and lose one life. Four black black to make each opponent with no cards in their hand lose ten life. How fun! How fun that sounds. Um, yeah, I, 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 I like this card basically because it's big distractions mean tiny nuisances can slip by unnoticed. And I like yeah. the fact they make, I feel like they deliberately made him as cute as possible to undermine the fact that he is a very destructive and abusive um, commander. But it's nice to have um, a command, a discard commander that doesn't care about making them discard, but cares about if they did discard. So again, you're giving, mm. and you've got the payoff of the end game of what, what do you do when you've run out of cards and they've run out of cards like, and all of your effects don't trigger anymore? Well, now if you have no cards in hand, you're losing 10 life. So it's a kind of a gay, a way, a way to almost like put a bow on a, on a theme and a style of play that's already kind of existing. Um, 
Cool. All right. Favorite flavor cards. Uh, I'm going to kick it off. So my first flavor card, I wrote it on the outline as Archaeomancer. It's not Archaeomancer. It's Archaeomenda, which is uh, two generic and a blue for a human wizard, two, three. And it says whenever Archaeomenda enters the battlefield, return target artifact card from your graveyard to your hand so it's uh eternal witness but just for artifacts um and the reason oh, this is all my it's flavor but for artifacts ah well there you go yes of course there we go um yeah. the reason it's on my flavor picks is because uh it's actually a really nice blending of the of everything really the the name the art and the flavor text mm. and obviously the ability so on the uh flavor text it says just as a broken relic can be mended a shattered history can be made whole and the uh artwork depicts a wizard mending a broken vase uh, with a method which in the real world on earth we know as kintsugi which is a japanese method for repairing broken pottery uh, using powdered gold or silver yeah it highlights the brokenness of it, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the whole philosophy of Kintsugi is uh, that it treats breakage and repair as part of the history of the object, right? Yeah. So it's not something that you need to hide away with special Celebrates techniques. it, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And it gives it a beauty all of its own. So, I mean, right there, like the term history is often re- uh, uh, associated oh, pardon me, with uh, Kintsugi. And history is right there in the flavor text of this card. So already that's a whim. Mm. Archaeomenda, the idea that it's not, it's not, it's not like a necromancer, right? Or it's not like just pulling something out of the ether. It's taking a broken thing and mending it. It's, it seems just a bit more visceral and, and sort of physical. Mm. And the artwork is, I mean, by uh, Miranda Meeks is just beautiful. Like just the the kintsugi gold on the vase is is really nice. Yeah, the pink just, wash behind it is really yeah, cool. the, yeah. Like the that's pretty. kind of magic. Yeah, it's just everything about it. It's just is just super super wonderful. I'm going to take a punt and say that this is a character that is on Kamigawa, if only because of the, the kind of Japanese references. But there's nothing mm. I can beyond it. an area for the whole, like, history, artifact, yeah. synergy kind of thing, and the fact that Dominic yeah. is so diverse that maybe it could have, yeah. 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 It's hard to tell otherwise. I mean, yeah, I'd say it's, it's really just because of the Japanese influences that I'm mm. going to say Kamigawa. And if it is Kamigawa, that's kind of nice, because as we've said before, um, these kinds of sets, which might be difficult to come back to as, as like a mainline thing, it'd be nice to see in these ancillary products just kind of dipping your toe in. Mm. But yeah, okay, Amanda. It's also interesting from a um, from a technical mechanical point of view that Archimancer's two blue blue for a one two that gets you back an instant or sorcery. This is two and a blue for a two three that gets you back an artifact, which almost shows you kind of how Wizards compares the power level of, artif- of artifacts compared to instants and sorceries. Mm. It's, a, it's an interesting thing. So I was looking like, how is it cheaper and bigger? I was like, mm. the artifacts are really broken. I was like, oh, actually, no, instance and sorceries are way worse. <laughs> Never mind. But well, also, it only, it only grabs back an artifact. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. I guess it gives you, Archimancer gives you options. But yeah, this is cool. It's a very cool card. Very nice. Mm. Um, my next one is Witch of the Moors. Now, this is a bit of a mystery. Mm. So the, the card itself is uh, three generic black black for a human warlock. As death touch at the beginning of your end step, if you gain life this turn, each opponent sacrifices a creature, and you return up to one target creature from your graveyard to your hand. So, a bit of an aristocrat's theme. I don't know if this is going in my aristocrat's queen, my chest. Oh, it's going in my Ailey. Oh, fuck yeah, it's going in Ailey. The five slot is really contested, um, but there we go. Um, for f- four, four, and the uh, artwork is by uh, Kayo uh, Monterio. Every time I say your name, Monterio, I butcher it, so I do apologize. Um, but the mystery here is. Where is this warlock from? Because the artwork depicted shows a hooded uh, figure 
with multiple arms, mm. carrying a lantern, carrying a walking stick, carrying uh, some kind of bladed implement, and holding out a red apple. Okay? The, mm. One of the other hands is doing a bit of a magic thing. So this is multiple-armed, hooded warlock figure holding out a red apple. We've seen this motif before in Tempting Witch from Eldrain. Mm. Again, a human warlock, again with multiple arms, holding out a red apple, wearing a hood and a walking stick. Now, the difference here is... Oh, and they both have bells as well. I've just noticed in both their artworks. They are both adorned with uh, bells around their uh, he- uh, heads and hoods as well. Now, the difference here is that on which the moors, all the arms seem to be adult arms, or, or rather um, elderly arms, like this is decrepit, but they're all the same size, they're all the same kind of thing, and their skin is kind of graying. Mm. But on Tempted Witch... It seems to be that it's just a normal old woman, but there are infant arms coming from her chest as opposed to all around their body. But I just can't get away from the fact they both are wearing it's the, the parallels, same outfit. right? The parallels of the really red apple, the multiple arms, mm-hmm. and I just want to know where this Witch of the Moors is from because my my instant thing with seeing these two cards and the fact that they are almost identical, really on paper, even though the, yeah, the art style is slightly different and the actual composition of the piece is different, but on paper, what's in the picture is identical. Is that this is from Eldraine, Witch of the Moors is from Eldraine, but the way that they've executed the multiple arms is is so different and mm. maybe my idea was is that tempting witch is almost like a like a newly witchified witch like they've only just kind of started their transformation and then you see witch the moors and that's them at like the end of their kind of cycle and they are fully witchified and this is what witches generally look like yeah. on eldraine well, i think that absolutely i think that this is had it not been for the apple thing so i was i was looking i'm like is that is it is it Part of her, are you? Have you necromantically like like stitched them to yourself? Because I was thinking it kind of reminds me a little bit of um of like the kind of the witches and stuff you could have in the uh, Caliga and in, in Dominaria. And but mm. the, the more I think about, it, the more I'm like, yeah, maybe this is just a development of that same that individual character. Does the um, the one from Eldraine have any flavor text? Uh, the one from Eld- uh, Eldraine says, uh, "So tempting witch, murder clad in crimson beauty." An end of life and love and duty, Barrow mm. Witch incantation, and then Witch the Moors has many hands for many evils. So mm. there's not any signifiers yeah, there. I was going to look at if there was a connection, yeah, between, but no. but it's just, I mean, yeah. If it wasn't for the apple, was the big thing, and then if if it wasn't for me, literally just seeing the bells on their yeah, outfits as why well. Why would you put an apple on there if you weren't? I mean, unless you're again just doing the hint to Snow White, to the um, evil queen. Um, but that trope has, if you've literally done it in the last year. Mm-hmm. So I, I can't imagine. Yeah, maybe maybe it's worth asking. Maybe it's the same character, or maybe this is uh, what witches look like. The only thing I would say again—they well, always got and... apples because they're arseholes, so they just always got. Well, maybe that's just what they do. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing I would say against it for that being for it maybe being what all witches are like on Eldraine is that we do know from the novel, uh, the Wilded Quest, is that the king King Kenrith um, is uh, seduced by a witch. Mm. So unless he's Super freaky for multiple arms, um, or obviously magic. Well, they like. don't all have to. Maybe they don't all have the same kind of because maybe they get all warped by their individual witchiness. Mm-hmm. You know, because I guess the witch for, and the um, the one from our own, like you know, it's, it's more about greed and everything, stealing children away. And obviously now she can't hide the arms. It's almost like the arms have gone. Bruh, no, now this is who you are. You know, she can't be all sneaky about it anymore. So yeah, I don't so, know. Yeah, that's really yeah. cool. Yeah, very cool. And the whole point is it, it creates discussion. Like, yeah, where, where are you from? What, what's the context? And obviously, we didn't necessarily get any. So it keeps the door open rather than closing it on, in a way that we don't want it to be closed. 
But then if they if it is from Eldraine, mm. I, I quite like that as well. I like the fact that they're they're building on the world of Eldraine. Yeah, no, exactly. kind of that. Yeah, they leave the option kind of they don't they'll say they don't give a finality of it. So yeah, I hope it is though. I hope they do because like, we like seeing this. We like seeing characters and multiple cards from multiple sets for no reason. Mm. It's quite nice. Um, my last flavor card. I'll be very quick on this one because there's uh, it's not a hugely deep thing, but it's uh, actually Lightning Core Excavator, um, which is a, a one drop colorless artifact golem uh, zero three. And the flavor text is that's the third time this month it's exploded on site. Maybe we should switch to something a little less defective. Karen, archaeologist, um, and the art depiction by Christy Balinescu is a golem um, with a very sort of classic domed head and big bug eyes. Yeah, it's very metal. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Very like a giant um, sort of Iron Man chess piece, mm. and it's uh, exploding. And I just like golems. I like golems and automatons and magic. Um, if 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 the Weatherlight Saga hadn't existed, and there wasn't that kind of sort of sci-fi punk fantasy aspect of it, I would I'd be more on board with them having golems being like the kind of sci-fi thing or like the mechanical thing that kind mm. of goes across uh, across the multiverse. That was one of my big things about Kaladesh. I really liked was all the automatons. Um, so kind of, I think it sits on the right side of fantasy and sci-fi. Yeah, it's um, like Laputa castle yeah. in the sky. It still feels fantasy rather than sci-fi. You know. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's kind of on that steampunk edge. Because if, if it's being powered by magic, then it isn't science fiction. It's it is fantasy. At that yeah, point. it's still yeah. fantasy, right? Yeah. And yeah, I just like golems. What are your uh, flavor picks? Uh, so I have uh, Goblin Law. Um, it's got its <laughs> got its reprint. It's got, it's been reprinted for the first time in years. Um, it's got um, a new Kev Walker artwork. Um, the thing I like about this is it talks um, about other goblins within the flavor text. So it talks um, about the Goblin King, um, the original Goblin King. Um, it talks about Tuck Tuck. Um, and then the best thing about this card in its flavor text. Uh, let me just quickly read it to you. It says, um, the coronation of King Nungsgill. No, 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 no. The adventures of Tuck Tuck. No, 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 no. The saga of Morpo the Butt. No, where's my story? <laughs> um, the best way about that is we don't know who Morpo the Bard is. So you can damn well bet we've already had about 17 different custom magic cards for, about, about this guy. Um, why would they mention two people that have been mentioned? And then mention someone that hasn't been mentioned yet. Um, tin, tin, tin foil hat we see it in. We see it in the Commander Legends set. That's what I'm thinking. Cool. That's yeah, interesting. Really cool. But the fact that they threw back and they gave us um, a, a, a new artwork for it was really cool when they haven't done it for any much many of the other cards. Um, I yeah. think it's one of the two cards that actually gets new artwork. I'm not sure. The uh, the Goblin Law podcast, which is a, a magic podcast that deals with uh, how the game relates to real world things like mental health, mm-hmm. um, and they're also so associated with hipsters of the coast. Uh, obviously, went nuts for this card because yeah. it's the name of their podcast. So yeah, very very cool. Yeah, very nice, very nice throwback as well. Um, it was a desperate need for imprint as well, um, just in time for hollow ones <laughs> grandiose le- leaving of the meta game um the next one is almost and um, almost and this is um the only reason i want to talk about this is um one of the new uh, sphinx legendaries uh, the reason i want to talk about this is because not anything other than the fact that it has an ability that you have to discard um two cards of different names to draw three cards so the reason i like this is as you were saying earlier about sphinx flavor um, I noticed this across various different cards obviously artemsis wants you to reveal cards um, with different converted mana costs um Sphinx of the Chimes requires you to discard two cards of the same name to draw four cards, um, things like that. The reason I like this is because I like this idea of the Sphinx's flavour. As much as we've, we've, we, we do have the uh, fact or fiction style of it, um, I like the fact that you kind of have to almost like play a riddle. You have to play a little game to get things out of it. You have to meet certain requirements. That feels very much like a Sphinx thing to do. Of where they've offered you, they've offered you something, but you need to meet a very specific requirement, which is as close I think you can get to 
asking a riddle beyond Sphinx Ambassador, where you literally go and get a card and make them guess what you got from them. Um, yeah, Sphinx is a Sphinx is a really good at that. There's a Sphinx card I used to run in my um, Atris uh, Commander deck, which is where you had to. Uh, pick a card in your hand and a player had to guess whether it was higher or lower than four converted mana cost and if they guessed wrong you could put that card onto the battlefield things like that you know it's very very cool for yeah do you want to play a game like i love that idea and yeah so do it, i it's not yeah. aggressive either it's always nice um it, it feels very sphinxy um and that's one thing i liked about it beyond the fact that she also does something else cool um yeah the reason i want to talk about it so i do like this idea of where you can kind of create a very a, a suite of different abilities that all kind of play in the same space that give a uh, sphinx this kind of mysterious feel um the only other card i wanted to talk about was allosaurus shepherd now this is a one one um for a green um it can't be countered um it it makes your green spells uncounterable and then for four green green all elf creatures you control get base power and toughness five five and become dinosaurs in addition to their other types um the reason i love this is a throwback to the allosaurus rider from cold snap um mm-hmm. it's a really cool card very strange elf because it's an elf dinosaur <laughs> it's very strange to be like oh you're just a casual elf you know just riding a dinosaur why not um but yeah like as much as um, this is going straight into my marion deck i like the fact that it's a throwback um i also looked at it because i'm like does it need to have all of the extra abilities all of the bit, bits of ways to push it and everything but um, i also just like the fact you just get a band of, of elves and then suddenly it's like oop, 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 oop. they'll just jump on their dinosaurs and come charging over the <laughs> over the battlefield yeah very nice really cool, cool really cool flavor yeah nice throwback and that's what i like about it so they, there have been some weird they've, they've gone into areas we haven't seen before and they've also done throwbacks to things that i would never have expected them to, to to do which is obviously something they can do with sets like this so it's nice to have taken full advantage of it and this is exactly the kind of set you want them to be doing this in because it's a set that is has been clearly designed for it's a it's been designed as a palette cleanser for players that maybe are getting a little bit tired of their very sort of rigid or hyper competitive formats and b it's been designed for newer players just to be able to grab two booster packs smush them together and go right because there is no deck building even the the lands are included in these booster packs so the fact that they've included new law to get kind of people on board who are enfranchised and the fact that they've given people who are new to the game like a big depth of lore and depth of flavor in a similar way that the the core sets have been doing recently as well so this is but this is essentially like core set the unset right is i think how we said it beforehand yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it's it's a really good it's really good and yeah. they've done a fantastic job yeah. do you like goblins well here here's literally goblin lore mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah yeah very good very cool um, let's move on to the lands, because I think for a lot of players, especially those that are kind of visually minded for their um, kind of pimping out of decks, the lands are fucking incredible oh, God, in this yeah. set. Absolutely. So each of the themes has uh, lands inside of each boost pack, what we just said, um, and they have regular artworks. I say regular artworks. I think they have artworks that have kind of been throughout Magic's history. But one land per pack is going to be a special art land that is specifically themed to the pack of that theme. So there's a goblin land, there's a sphinx land, there's a mill land, so on, so on, so on. And the artwork for almost every single one of them is phenomenal. And mm-hmm. um, we're going to talk through our favorite ones <clears throat> and the ones that maybe have made the kind of biggest splashes. But if you go onto the um, uh, Jumpstart wiki, the Gamepedia, um, they have a section where they have all of the individual uh, unique lands. And I really suggest you take like 10 minutes out of your day and just kind of go through them because it is just... I mean, lands are generally a space where artists can kind of be be a little bit bigger um, anyway, but these ones are just bonkers. And they do things as well, which we haven't seen in lands yet because, again, this has kind of an unset feel, yeah, which we'll talk about. a surprisingly large amount of innovation. 
Yeah, like it all, and I feel like all it does is kind of highlight how boring our lands have been before. Um, and that's something saying of me because I think lands, as you say, are some of the best, some of the best pieces of work because they do give you a landscape. But yeah, some of the directions they've taken, and I'm like, why haven't, why haven't we been seeing this before? I didn't know you could do this with basics. Well, yeah. So I think one of the things we're going to discover is that a lot of the lands are uh, taking liberties of what can be considered like a land mass. So some of them are quite abstract. Um, and when they've tried to do this before in Magic, so it's the classic uh, mountain thing, right? So when Ravnica set came out, the original Ravnica and, and, the, and the set since, most mountains have been like uh, sky skylines or yeah, like massive spires. buildings, mm. spires, things like that. And there is a non-zero amount of players who are Vorthos minded that really don't like that. That they kind of see it as being not a cheat, but also not really a true representation. Yeah, it's fair that you can get red mana out of it, but is it a mountain? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think that's why they've not really done it before, because not that they want don't want to piss people off, because when's that really stopped anyone doing anything? But I think there has been this idea that you know it has to be almost like a land structure. But they've kind of thrown that out the window with this set. Um, the first thing that we're going to talk about is the big one. It's the one everyone's talking about, and it is Titus Luntner's. Uh, Phyrexian Swamp. Whew. So oh. the Phyrexian Swamp, first thing you notice about it, it does not have a human language on it. It has the Phyrexian script, which we have previously seen on uh, Judge Norn. promo versions of mm. Elish Norn. That's so they've used strange. it for this. We know what it says because it just says swamp and basic land swamp, right? So it's not like it's a mystery as to what it, it reads as. And actually, that's kind of cool because we can use it as like a key. Um, but yeah, very, very sweet. So that's, I mean, immediately is just brilliant. And um, the artwork itself is super interesting. So the artwork itself shows a Phyrexian obliterator, and it's very clearly an obliterator as well, stood in front of a decayed structure. And many eagle-eyed people, I actually first saw this from the Commander Sphere podcast, so shout out from them, um, is a Vault of Whispers, which is the artifact land from Mirrodin. So it's the Vault of Whispers, but it's since been destroyed, and it's now like a stump version of itself and the landscape around it is much more arid even for a phyrexian landscape it's incredibly arid and the phyrexian obliterator just looks kind of lost on this little island with the uh with the ruined uh vault of whispers um i did ask titus lintner on twitter about this and i asked him what the art direction was um and he said the art direction asked for a phyrexian creature in an endless sea of black oil and then I said to him, well, that's not what this shows. And he said, no, I presented a Vault of Whispers and a Phyrexian Obliterator because it's his favourite card in terms of the Obliterator with one of his favourite locations, mm. the Vault of Whispers. So he presented the original sketches to them for this and they went, uh, the art directors went, oh, actually, that's a really fucking cool idea. Mm. So this is a really classic example of where artists, when given a, like rope by a good AD, um, can turn something which would have been good into something great. Yeah, and, yeah. spread your wings. Yeah, the um, pose of the Phyrexian um, obliterators um, harkens back to Phyrexian Totem. Um, so mm-hmm. it's almost the exact same type. Um, sex- so it's, it's linking three different cards together on a basic land. Um, yeah, very very cool. Yeah, yeah. It, as you say, like the fact they've got the text on there as well has made uh, the people that are out there trying to translate Phyrexian a little bit more happy. Turns out mm-hmm. it's really difficult. If you ever watch the arrival, you understand certain keys and way that people speak is very different. Um, so I'm not sure if you can just directly translate it through a lexicon. But um, yeah, it's really cool. It was really great to see the text. I hope that we. I'm, I'm not sure we. I really hope we see a little bit of it when we go back because we saw a bit of it on the um, in the artwork of um, oh bloody hell, what's the Black Saga? Um, 
Oh, Frexian scriptures. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, Frexian scriptures, and it's written on the um, altar there. There's a bit more written in there. So yeah, any any amount of Frexians more is is good. Is good. Yeah, so I really like it. Um, I'm just going to quickly through a couple more that I liked because obviously we 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 could probably do a whole episode on these lands. Um, one of them is the Mill Island, the island for the mill themed deck, um, by Peter. Jura. Um, this is a giant head with a grindstone on top, and it harkens back to the card Millstone. So again, this is the idea of like what constitutes a land. Well, this is a giant statue, and it's yeah because it's in the mill deck. It's a millstone mm. in the land. Very cool. Um, uh, we have the Goblin Mountain by Ralph Horsley. This is another one that people have been going nuts over. So this is where the the mountainside itself, when you take a closer look at it is actually made up of a giant horde of goblins, all very loosely rendered in the artwork, so you can't make out each individual one. You can make out the shapes of this horde of goblins. Mm. Um, Very heavy, saturated red as well. Very cool uh, mountain that we see there. Um, Two more that I want to very quickly go through. One of them is uh, the island from the Well Red themed yeah, packs, yeah. which I don't know what that constitutes as, but Well Red is fine. And this is the real one, which um, Adam Paquette, um, has done the artwork for this and this is the one where it really deconstructs what you can do on a land yes yeah, really it's realist yeah it, it is an island because it has a boat and a sea but the island and all the little rocks off of the island are made up of giant books mm. <laughs> so it's it's this really surrealist this kind of slightly absurdist painting which you could imagine like is someone's like fever dream? Like it's the same sort of thing we said for Sublime Epiphany and then Twenty One. Yeah, it's yeah, same... exactly. It's got the same kind of feel. Yeah, that ethereal kind of mind feel. Yeah, um, and the last one I want to talk about is uh, Elena Danner's uh, Forest for the which theme is it? Elena plus Danner one. plus one. Oh, plus one. Sorry, yes, there is. So it's the Forest uh, by Elena Danner for plus one, and this is. I mean, it's very hard to describe. I don't know quite how to describe it. So it's it's almost like you're looking from the top down on a ring of trees, but the ring of trees are spreading out to the edges of the painting. And on the in the center, there's a central island where all the roots kind of come together. And you can see through the trees the kind of skyline beyond, but that itself is in like a concentric ring, which, I mean, just look it up. It's incredible. Um, I asked her about this on Twitter as well. Um, and she has yet to get back to me with the art direction, but she said that this was a coloured pencil and watercolour with some digital highlights. Coloured pencil? Amazing. Like, it's just so cool. Um, Elena Dana is fantastic. The more and more that she produces, the more and more I just go, yeah, it's fucking amazing. <laughs> I think out of all of them, the forests are probably the least, like, diverse. Well, actually, no, the mountains are probably the least diverse because they all have mountains in them. But, um, yeah, like, this one's really cool because, as you say, you get a perspective you don't normally see that top-down look. And it almost got like, that locus effect. Um, yeah, really, really cool. Really nice. Um, so I only had a, I only had a couple because the problem is they are all, apart from maybe one or two, that um, I'm like, okay, that could actually have been in a normal set and you might not have noticed. Um all of them are unbelievable. Um, the two, uh, two I want to do, P- uh, Piotr Dura also, as well as the um, Mill Island, he also did the Angel Plains. Um, and mm. basically he's, re- he's uh, reimagined the planes as, um, cons- um, as layered feathers, as if you were basically looking at um, an angel's um, uh, wing that is placed, obviously, in a way that looks like landscape. Very cool reimagining of, of, of seeing a plane. Because again, like 
most of the basics are really <laughs> really boring in how we normally see them so it's nice to see them do something different in the same fashion Anna Paquette also did the witchcraft swamp you are basically at the at the at the water level at the surface level of um of a of a magic potion so you're basically in a cauldron but you're sitting in a perspective that makes it look like you're in a swamp so there's a big eye on the left hand side there's hands and stuff coming out of it and basically you're, you're from the perspective of if you were sat in the potion as well amazing, very cool amazing reimagining of a swamp really cool um i also really liked the planes um that's done by sung Choi for the doctor um expansion that's really really cool it's got these ley lines that's kind of strying over the uh, landscape um because i was thinking like cause i was looking through um the wiki page that kind of has all of the artworks and everything they're nice and easy to see um and I was, looking through, I was like, what's the Doctor one going to be? Like? I can't remember the Doctor one being even that good. And oh my God, yeah, it's beautiful. I really like this idea of where it's not necessarily about the land. It's about what's happening with the land. It also kind of shows tapping of mana or better than most basic lands have ever done, better than most lands have ever done. That actually looks like you're tapping the land for white mana mm. and gaining it from the land. So that's really cool. Um, the only other thing I want to talk about, this isn't a new land. Um, it's the fact that Terramorphic Expanse got a new, uh, got a new version. Yeah, exactly. Considering that Evolving Worlds came out years after Terramorphic Expanse, Terramorphic Expanse only had that one artwork, and it's the first new version, whereas Evolving Worlds has 10. Goddamn 10. And the funny thing is that I think Terramorphic Expanse's original artwork's better than any of the Evolving Worlds artworks. I agree. In my opinion. I agree. It's really nice to see them do a new one. And I could have sworn I'd seen this artwork somewhere before, but it's not. It's um, it's a Converge uh, card from um, Shards of Alara. Um, a green one but yeah it's really really cool it's showing showing the five different colors of mana all kind of coming t- together in the middle really cool nice to see them do justice to, to a card like that and i think it's that and goblin law are the only two cards that got reprints so that's really interesting to to, to see that they're actually going uh no if we're going to do terramorphic it's about time it's about time. by by reprints you mean like new artworks yeah exactly yeah yeah so yeah. there are loads of other cards in this in the in the sets that have like new borders and, and stuff but it's the, these are the ones that had the first like you know new artworks commissioned for them so yeah, very good. Very glad. Very glad to see it get something new. Cool. Well, the last little thing, because we're running out a little bit of time here, I want to talk about is just it's just the gameplay aspect of it. So I think, as we said before, this is made for newer players to kind of jump on and play something that's kind of wacky and kind of has ties to other games that are out there that are proving quite successful and quite popular. But it also this kind of thing where they make prepackaged things. And they put them in decks which you don't know necessarily what you're going to get, and you have to pick two of them and smush them together. So they're kind of they're designed to be quite random. For me, and I don't know whether I'm just being biased and skewing this because we're a flavor podcast, but to me that actually makes this much more flavorful than at first glance. Because you could sort of think, well, if it's prepackaged, I can't put anything of myself into the deck build. So if I am someone that builds decks in a flavorful way, this kind of takes that agency away from me. But I actually kind of think it's the opposite. I think if you're able to pick the themes that you have, or even if you're not, the fact that these are all combined with some sort of theme, most of which are based off of flavor and feel of how the cards play out as much as anything else. I don't know, man. I think this is a real sort of service to those players that they come to Magic about how they feel about the game rather yeah. than you know well, having not... sort of hyper competitive i have to make the best 60 cards i can yeah. i have to win on turn three it, it takes you know. the decisions out of your head it basically goes instead of you having to figure to break down this set um into a way that makes sense you can digest and flavor point of view it goes no 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 here is the flavor of it experience it you don't have to build it yourself and worry about getting that card from 16 years ago that, that no one has any copies of for some reason because it fits your deck perfectly. you don't have to worry about that you can kind of just lean into it a little bit 
and it kind of plays in the same way that one of the things I love that we do is we play pack wars um, most sets when they come round. And what I love about it is all those crappy cards that th- that, that four mana destroyer land is actually really powerful when you're playing against five color nonsense stuff. And it's kind of nice to see all of the cards like cards you wouldn't necessarily pick because if you had a choice you wouldn't. And you kind of forced to have to play with them and forced to have an appreciation for them. And maybe from there you build a liking of a style that you wouldn't have otherwise chosen. So it kind of takes, yeah, it kind of takes away that, as see, yeah, the agency. But I think that's a good thing. So it kind of just provides you free, free kind of <laughs> decision making, you know, it's kind of done it all for you. Um, yeah, it's very cool. Okay, so that was basically, that was really all I wanted to say about uh about the gameplay aspect of it. Obviously, we haven't been able to get our hands on it. And it could turn out that actually um, the gameplay of it is maybe a little bit stunted. A few people kind of worry that there's not that many lands in each of the packs, like the land yeah. counts a little bit low. I'm also but concerned it's... that what if you put the plus one pa- plus one counter one with the mill one? Like There are some that I, I feel like just don't necessarily blend that well. Like There are some that clearly do, like sacrifice effects, reanimation, perfect things like that that you can get some really explosive combinations but i do feel like you might still get you can there are might be out there some bum combinations where they don't just quite sync up properly yeah um but yeah the only other thing that i will say that this is one big really annoying thing is when was the last time they printed a card that didn't have a token available for it andy how many how many uh, years ago i mean oh are we talking about orpheomancer we are. How, be... how many years ago was that andy uh, I'm going to say... Was in its first printing or when it got reprinted? Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 the reprint. Uh, five? Five years ago? Seven years ago. So in that same... Oh, okay. So in that same... In that same Commander commander deck, there was Orphiomanta and Sequoia. I had both these cards so I bought the Prosh deck. That was the last time we didn't have a card... Um, a, a token made for a card that's released. That's okay. Supplemental product. Fair enough. Before that was 13 years ago in Time Spiral Block. They have printed a card, Blessed Sanctuary, that creates two two white unicorns... And this product doesn't have any unic- any tokens whatsoever in any of the packs, probably because it had that extra slide was taken by the, the card that tells you what um what the theme is. Oh, exactly, boom. right. So there is now a card. They printed a card. This like it has not even out yet, and it doesn't have a token. They're still doing this seven years later, Andy. You're two two <laughs> unicorns. You're not getting them. Tough tough titties. Yeah, well, the- what I will say is that if you are looking for tokens and things, this is actually kind of a nice sort of like segue, I suppose, into into pl- blinging out your decks in different ways. There are lots of artists that do tokens. RK Post um, has a website where he does lots of cool tokens. I'm sure he'll be doing some unicorns. And uh, yeah, just sh- shop around. A lot of artists, especially on their Patreons and stuff. Like I've, I've signed up for the uh, Johannes Voss Patreon, so I'll be getting some tokens of his as well. Um, and yeah, yeah, if we don't have tokens in Magic... There are lots of really cool artist tokens that you can get. Exactly. Well, this is the thing. Yeah, there is also a site that... And the reason I found this out was because I looked... Um, I managed to find a site that did proxy versions of all the different ones you can't you can't typically get. Um, So it kind of mocked them up as um, the normal bear token artwork that added in the, the, the ability or whatever. But yeah, it's just interesting to think. And I guess the problem is that they had to ha- have their hands tied. But there are a lot of tokens in this set as well. And the fact you don't get any of them is a little bit jarring as well. Because like, mm. especially if you get two different packs and they have two different sets of tokens that you didn't, you don't have. There's four different tokens that are now potentially in play that you can't use. So maybe that's a slight oversight. Um, but that's yeah, my, my, that's my that's my only grumble I think I have about this product. Beyond and the that's fact. I mean, and as grumbles go, that's actually fairly. Yeah, I like, think that's re- I think that's reasonable. I don't think why print when you didn't have to. Why print a card that creates a token? That but I but I also <laughs> think it's it's actually not that dire in terms of like the gameplay, right? Oh, you can no, use no, like no, no, it. No, it's fine. It's fine. You know. Um. So yeah, I think as long as people go into this not expecting even even the competitive nature of say something like a draft where people still have archetypes, as long as you're just going in there looking to have fun, I would probably suggest doing it in multiple ways. I'd do it not looking at the packs and looking at the packs. 
because that way you get to kind of discover new favorites or mm. you know yeah i'd say definitely try, like. if you can try and play like play with the format because i think one of the big things about these um commanders that are new is that you would have been able to see them in context of how they're supposed to be used within a pack sometimes mm-hmm. you see a new command you think oh that's really cool but it's in a it's a limited environment that doesn't support it whereas as you're drafting it you don't get all of the bits to show it off so you never think about it again whereas these packs obviously are there to promote the the gameplay and the themes so if anything these are probably the best ways to show off a commander that's being printed for the first time Sure. I mean, there are plenty of conspiracy-specific cards that I've never played because I've never drafted conspiracy. And when I see them on things like Scryfall or Gatherer, I just, yeah, I'd love to play with them. So I'd love to do Jumpstart as it's meant to be played as well. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, cool. Yeah, good job, supplemental products. Yeah, very, very good. I'm, lo- I'm looking forward to potentially getting my hands on it at least once in the coming years. Yeah, we'll see what absolutely, hopefully. Cool. All right, guys. Well, that is our Jumpstart episode. A little bit lighter than our last uh, sort of previous set reviews um if you want to shout out to us about your favorite legendaries from jumpstart let us know also guys uh, by the time that this episode is out we may have just about released our youtube channel magic the flavoring um we're not putting up all of our episodes on there future plans are to put up our interview episodes on there in uh the form of video so you can listen to it on youtube as well we are looking to do cracker packs but focusing on flavor because obviously that's what we do um so check (laughs) yeah exactly so check it out guys it'll be magic the flavoring any likes uh subscribers or general shares will be absolutely appreciated from our listeners because it's it's more of us and if you're listening to this hopefully you like what we do um as we usually say if you don't like what we do we're not quite sure why you're here but hello thank you anyway um <laughs> check us out on twitter guys at mt flavoring my personal twitter is at andy manface nathan's yours is at the fox in the moon emails go to mt flavoring at gmail.com and uh, nathan any final words um Doho Hidoro, Doro Do is a new um, netflix that's out at the moment it's if you like weird fantasy and don't mind a bit of gore go and watch it it's fucking amazing Doro Hidoro oh, is amazing. You've watched it as well? I, I've seen it, yeah. Oh, isn't it great? Uh, look, there's something about it. I'm just like, because it's very weird and quirky. Normally, some anime, when it goes a bit too quirky, I'm like, oh, okay, this is a bit strange. Everything about The Strangers, I was like, but I want to know more. This is yeah. great. I love it, yeah. Go and watch it if you haven't. It's really good. Go and watch Doro Hidoro. You won't be disappointed. Um, it is mature content. Just a little warning. Yeah, I'd say that. Yeah, but other than that, guys, thank you so much for listening. This has been Magic the Flavoring. We'll see you soon.